Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Merry Christmas, Jundo. Ho, 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 merry rohats, and a happy new this moment to you. Have you been a good boy? <laughs> I don't know. It depends on who's been watching and making a list. Well, in, you know, many uh, religions and beliefs this time of year, being good is important, as are values such as peace, generosity, forgiveness. It's that time of year, Kirk. Well, you know what I like about this time of year? I get out my playlist of Zen Christmas songs. Yes. Like, I'm dreaming of a Zen Christmas, and God rest ye merry bodhisattvas, and Bodhidharma's coming to town is one of my favorites. Oh, little town of Kapilavastu. <laughs> uh, silent one. Night. Silent Night that's really silent. Yeah. Or you may know this one. That's, that's ah, jingle bells. Jingle bells, yes. Also the start of Zazen. Yes. <laughs> and then there's the classic, Oh, Bodhi tree, oh, Bodhi tree. Well, you see, we do that in our house. We have little kids, and uh, one of the cultural compromises, I guess you call it, is that, uh, yes, we decorate, but we give, uh, I don't know, Buddhist interpretations to things. Uh, when I was uh, being raised Jewish, we did this too. You know, the Christmas tree became the Hanukkah bush. Well, yep. in our tree, we put a little Buddha statue under the, well, let's be honest. It's a Christmas tree, but we call it, of course, the Bodhi tree. Yeah. The Bodhi tree. And the, the wreath on the, on the door is the Enso. The, you know, the uh -huh. Zen circle. You know, I had never thought yeah. of that. Good idea. Yeah. Yes. And we, okay. uh, we we give empty boxes to each other because it's no that's, that's not true i i give <laughs> presents to the kids yeah. but one of the things we try to do is we also try to say that of course giving is more important than what you receive yeah now all all the religions this time of year try to say that and it's no more successful i think that our family but we try to teach that to the kids I was watching uh, the news when I was eating lunch. So we record this. For me, it's early afternoon for you. It's the evening. And today is Christmas Eve. And the BBC News was following people who were doing last-minute Christmas shopping in a shopping center. And they were all stressed. And my partner and I this year, we've decided to do a sort of non-Christmas. We don't have any trees right. or decorations. So we did plant a pine tree in the garden um, last year that's going to be our Christmas tree. Beautiful. Um, we're, we're not the whole materialistic thing. I just can't handle it anymore. You're just, well, really, you're just hammered with these advertisements and these, you know, buy this, buy that. And we don't really need anything more this time of year than any other time of year. Well, really, it's not just uh, Buddhism. All you see, this is the shared values of this time of year. All the religions or philosophies, if you listen to them, 
are trying to say at this time of year, really don't be materialistic. It's not about what you get. It's not about buying stuff. Of course, the Christians are trying to say say that for Christmas, and it's completely wrong. I think that's the message of Hanukkah, too. I think even the socialists are trying to say that, whatever they're celebrating. <laughs> and uh, we are, uh, in Buddhism, also trying to say it's not about what you get. You you already have it all, you know, and you're, you, you don't need anything. And uh, it's about giving, too, to help the other sentient beings. Well, interestingly, uh, you know, many traditions have a holiday at around the winter solstice. Uh, obviously, right. um, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. I believe they figured out he was born in September or something, but the Christians took the pagan ritual of the winter solstice and they put their holiday there. Right. Was the Buddha born in January? When, when do they... Rohatsu is the 2nd of January. Was he born then? Or no, is Rohatsu... that a similar... Uh, or is that a similar idea of just creating another festival for, um, you know, the winter solstice, the, the nadir, the time when the days are shortest? Well, Ro- Rohats is actually the Buddha's Enlightenment Day oh, in sorry. the Japanese okay. tradition. It's actually, Hatsu means eight, and Ro is the month of the rat. He, uh, so it's Rohatsu, the mouse month, the eighth of the mouse month. He sat under the Bodhi tree and uh, saw the star. Now, we have a star. That other religion, they had a star in the sky. It could have been the same mm. star. I do not know. That's right. But uh, no, nobody knows exactly when it was. His birthday would be uh, in the spring, and uh, that depends uh, where you are on the continent. And uh, no, nobody knows exactly when these things happen, but it's not important, because ask me when the Buddha's Enlightenment Day was. When was the Buddha's Enlightenment Day? Right this moment, and this moment, and the next, wherever you are. That's when it is. Yeah. So if he was born in the spring, then that's celebrating the spring solstice, isn't it? The renewal. Yeah, well, we, you know, for the kids, we're also, some places in Buddhism, trying to have a little competition with the Easter. Oh, you know? coincidence. Yeah. They have their Easter bunny, and we're in Buddhism, we have elephants. So I've seen people, like, you know, hide the elephant, little elephant dolls, little chocolate elephants. Really? Yes, because uh, the Buddha's mother, when he was born, she, she saw a white elephant coming to her side. She also had a virgin birth. There's a lot of parallels here. There are, yeah. 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 When you look but, at it. I remember many years ago, I read that book by Joseph Campbell called A Hero with a Thousand Faces, where he puts in parallel all these traditions, not just religious, but mythical, and points out how many similarities there are from one civilization to another. Yes. There are many, many similarities, but when it comes to the values of the time, forgiveness, peace, nonviolence, uh, family, being together, loving each other, all creeds, all people, I think, share it. And it's just the time of year. It's, it's the end of the, the, the year. It's a time to, to look forward to the future and to let the past go. I think all creeds share this, Kirk. It's not just, uh, it's not just Buddhism. By any means. That's why I don't feel bad about letting in our family putting up some lights, putting up our little Bodhi tree, and inviting other traditions. You know, this has been done in Buddhism almost since the beginning, since the beginning, in fact. That Buddhism, every time it's gone from one country to another, has adopted many of the local traditions, correct? Exactly. All our great figures, other than the Buddha himself, let's take Canon, Maitreya, uh, all those uh, wild gods they have in the Tibetan side of things, right? 
they were all local gods, local figures that kind of got absorbed in. And even in Japan here, uh, the merger of Shinto and Buddhism is an ancient tradition. Uh, it, there, it was a little more prominent uh, until about 150 years ago for various reasons, but every Zen or Buddhist temple I know in Japan has a Shinto shrine. And everybody does ceremonies to respect the Shinto gods. But the idea is this. You know, Buddha kind of takes care of the universe, and the Shinto gods kind of take care of local affairs. Hmm. <laughs> okay, so you, you, you've, got, you've got your local government and your central government then. Right, right. The, the Shinto gods or the local gods, they're kind of like the mayor of the town, and the Buddha's taking care of things like time and space, you know. That's how the we get away. things, yeah, yeah. This came up because this week uh, there was a, a video I, I posted of a of a Japanese priest who did a ceremony, very traditional, ringing the bells, lighting incense to Santa Claus. He put well, Santa, Santa Claus was Claus, a bodhisattva. Yes, it's called the dedication of of merit to Santa Claus bodhisattva, and he put a little Buddhist uh, kesa robe on the Santa and put Santa on the altar, and they lit. In sense, it's all tongue in cheek because uh, he was chanting and uh, also jingle bells and various things. But people got upset. Some people, some people thought it was funny, but people got upset. And I said, you know, bringing in a symbol of peace or giving or goodwill or just uh, niceness like Santa into Buddhism has happened in India, China, Japan, and this would just be the latest thing. We just give some Sanskrit name to Santa, like uh, <laughs> Santa Diva, Santa Diva Dali Dali Diva, something like that. And uh, he would uh, be one of ours. And someone said, well, he was originally Saint Nicholas. You know, he was, he was uh, a saint of those other guys. And I said, well, a lot of these figures in Buddhism were Hindu uh, or Taoist uh, figures that we took in. So why not Santa? Why not Santa Diva Dava Duva Dubu? <laughs> well, Santa Claus isn't that recent. Uh, it's a 19th century invention. St. Nicholas goes back a lot further. Um, the British had a Father Christmas, um, I believe, as far back as the 16th century. But the actual Santa Claus that we celebrate now is a pretty recent uh, addition to our pantheon of materialistic gods. Absolutely. And also, do you know the famous letter, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus? You know that story? Yes. That's how I tell people many times to believe in figures like Canon and these wild bodhisattvas. They say, do these figures really exist? Is there really a Canon in the sky who's keeping an eye open watching for us? Or a Jizo, who if I pray to Jizo, Jizo is going to come? And I say, it's like this. There was a letter by a little girl to a newspaper that said, Dear newspaper, does Santa really exist? I've been told by the other little kids that there's no Santa. And the newspaper said, Virginia, if you believe in your heart and you exemplify goodness and generosity, there is Santa. So Santa is as real as there's goodness in the human heart. So I say this about Canon, for example. Her supposedly, th you've seen with all the arms and everything. She's got a thousand, a thousand arms, yeah. arms, and on each arm is an eye. You know, she's watching for suffering, and she reaches out for suffering. Well, that's our hands and eyes, as far as I'm concerned. And when we do good in the world, when we help uh, another sentient being because we see suffering, 
that's two of Cannon's hands and eyes right there. So that's Virginia is how Cannon really exists. And that's why a figure like Santa, I still believe in Santa. I'll tell you the truth. I find the whole Santa Claus thing a bit disturbing because it's a lie we tell our children and it's it's a pretty it's a pretty big lie and then they discover it's not true. So when so when my son got to be the age of question I'm six or seven, I said, Well, Santa Claus is an idea. It's there's no real Santa, but there is. And I just kind of feel that some people take it a little bit too far. And then the kids, all of a sudden, they go to school and they learn that there's no Santa Claus for real. Do you know that 90% of religion is lies we tell ourselves that represent good things? Really? You mean all those books, they don't tell the truth? Jesus, most of the Buddhist legends and stories are real because they're real in our heart and we make them real. They don't have to be historical. So if, did, did Jesus change the, the, the loaves into fishes? I don't know. Did, did Moses part the Red Sea? I kind of doubt it, but there's something there about liberation, right? Freeing people, feeding the hungry. That I can buy into. That's real. And the same thing in Buddhism. If, if you have a story about, uh, for example, uh, a, a bodhisattva coming and healing someone's suffering heart, that's true because the healing, the feeling of healing is real when we, we allow this universe to come into our heart. So, yeah, it's, these are real fake stories. I've always <laughs> been skeptical about the guy with the boat who put all those animals on it. I mean, it would have to be a huge boat. It would smell a lot after one day. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I don't think, did we have a flood like that? That's one story we don't share in Buddhism. I don't think we had a flood and an ark. Yeah, again, going back to Joseph Campbell, um, he pointed out that the the story of the Great Flood is prominent in all Indo-European civilizations, all civilizations around the Mediterranean. Right. Right. I have to, I'll have to check later to see if there was the Great Buddhist Flood. I don't remember that one. We, we did cross the river on a raft to enlightenment, but that's not exactly the same. Yes, there's a lot of rivers, and, and there's even, what's the image that Dogen has of being on the boat and the land moves, as opposed to the boat oh, moving in the land? St- one of my favorite uh, Dogen passages, he's trying to describe the great interconnection of the universe. And he says, so usually we think we're on a boat and we're paddling the boat and the shore is passing and there's the sun above and it's all separate and we're just here as individuals striving. But you know, the boat and the paddling and the sun and the shore and the movement itself are one, you know? Yeah. I, I wanted to say we got off a little of the topic of, uh, of what Rohats is about, but if you want to ask me what the Buddha did realize under the tree when he saw this star of Bethlehem or whatever he saw up there, it was that the trees and the animals and the other sentient beings and the land and the water flowing was all one. So that's exactly describing what we think or feel that the Buddha realized under that Bodhi tree uh, all those many rohats ago. A couple weeks ago, you were telling me about Christmas in Japan. And yeah. I find it quite Funny. amusing, some of the Christmas traditions in that country. Okay, I've been here for 30 years, and I, got, I was just reading today an article a friend of mine wrote on the history of this. And to make a, a long story short, some time after World War II, uh, Christmas uh, got very popular here. 
but it got popular in a way that the people are not Christian, but they just thought the Christian Christmas was a cool holiday. So they developed a couple of a little unusual, shall we say, uh, interpretations or spins on things. For example, one thing is it got somehow confused with like a romantic holiday, like Valentine's Day. So what you do on Christmas Eve is uh, basically you get your girl, you go out for a nice dinner and a walk, you know, in a place with maybe there's some lights. And then, yeah, how to, how to put this nicely? The hotels run a little deal for an overnight stay and you kind of check in and, you know, a little romance you ensues. Check in, you check around. Yeah, and, a, yeah. You, you, you make your own fire in the fireplace, as we say. <laughs> and uh, the other thing is... But do Japanese celebrate Valentine's Day in February? Well, you can't have too much fire making, you know. Yeah, when, uh, good yeah. point. But uh, the well, you can actually as a Buddhist. Everything in moderation. Yes. Keep your yes. your your keep your stumping in moderation, as we okay, uh, as we say for lay people and and uh, and some people are if you're celibate, uh, then you're not going to uh, be doing that at all. But that's off the off the off the topic. The other thing you do uh, here uh, is. Uh, you get your bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, and uh, so we give a little advertising plug for that company here, KFC, because somewhere along the line, the statue of uh, the Colonel Sanders with the beard, uh, somebody dressed it in a Santa Claus robe, and somebody assumed, oh, that's Santa. Colonel Sanders is Santa. I guess in the off-season, when he's not running the chicken store, he's Santa Claus. So you get your bucket of chicken, and they also sell something here called a Christmas cake, which is really a cheap strawberry shortcake, which I've spoken to people in Europe, and they, nobody knows where this came from. But you get a, a strawberry shortcake, a bucket of chicken, your girlfriend, and you head to the hotel. And that is a traditional Japanese uh, Christmas here. Uh, but you also have specific Christmas music, too. They have Beethoven's Nice Symphony. Is very big, you know. Freude schönagota Franken You speak a little German. How's my German? I do, very and bad. you know the words there. That's very good. Oh, really? Good, good. Yeah. That's his... so. Uh, yes, and uh, yesterday we had a zazen kai here, a zazen uh, sitting, where uh, we do a ceremony with the Heart Sutra, and uh, I found online a Christmas. Heart Sutra done by a gospel choir where they had put the Heart Sutra in Japanese to the Ninth Symphony. And it's, uh, I, I'm, I, I'll, you can link to the version if you want, but it's something like, Kanzi on dai boho sahats, like that. And it's, it's lovely. The, the fellow has a marvelous voice. He's an old rock star from here in Japan. And uh, some people said, oh, that's a cultural appropriation. And again, I said, you know, Buddhism has been culturally appropriating since it moved from India to China to Korea to Japan, and that's what we do. And it's not the first time that uh, it was done in modern Zen. Uh, Kenneth Roshi from the Order of Buddhist Contemplatives, she turned all her Buddhist chants into uh, the British Evensong, uh, uh, Gregorian chants, and they're lovely. So this attempt, even though she was not Christian, she did this just to adapt to local culture. So this merging of things that you would say are not Buddhist, like a gospel choir, and taking our chants is, a, is an old tradition. And, you know, I, I would not chant that way every day, but once in a while it's lovely to, to uh, just uh, put the 
you know, fire on it and clap the hands and do the, the heart suture gospel. Why not? Some years ago, I found a video of Allen Ginsberg reciting the Heart Sutra. I'll see if I can find it. If I do, I'll put a link in the show notes. That yeah, was that was really pretty something. wild, too. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I found a webpage that talks about Christmas in Japan. I'll link in the show notes for anyone who wants to know more. Um, apparently, Santa is known as Santa-san. And another Japanese gift bringer is Hoteyosho, a Japanese god of good fortune from Buddhism and not really related to Christmas. Well, that's a, probably a, uh, the fat Buddha that people know, who oh, was right. a monk in the China. One who ate who too was, much Kentucky Fried Chicken. Right. He was beautiful. He loved to play uh, with uh, in, entertaining children and giving presents and carried a big sack. Uh, yes. Yeah. So there may be a connection there. I believe it's correct. But, you know, that leads to the subject about making our Zen and Buddhist way more open to children. Hmm. Now, you know, a lot of uh, young Zen families uh, are sitting in our tree leaf sangha. Uh, some of our members have kids, many of our members, and they say, you know, I was raised in a Christian family and we went to church and we, we celebrated Christmas and Easter and got the message of the religion into the kids. Sometimes not very well. That's why they're Buddhist now, because actually it backfired. Yeah. You know, but they said, you know, the, there were things. What do we do in our family to bring the Zen or Buddhist message to the kids? You know, and I say, okay, there's a couple of things. Like I said, the kids want a little Christmassy holiday this kind of year. Take Rohats, give it the message of giving, put your Bodhi tree, Christmas tree, you know, give something to the kids. That's fine. But the basic way to teach your kids about Buddhism, as far as I'm concerned, is not to force them to sit zazen, not to stuff it down their throat. You know, my daughter, when she used to see me sitting zazen, she would ask, why is daddy bad all the time? He's always having a timeout in the corner, <laughs> you know, you know. So you don't, and I tried to, to force the kids, you know, not force or invite the kids to sit with me and they'd get like five minutes at most and then they'd get antsy and they, they would leave. I wouldn't try to hold them down. What you do, as far as I'm concerned, is show them, Decency as a parent. Be loving. Be kind in the house. Be a good example. Be ex an example of our values. And later, when they're older, they might say, hey, you know what? I'm looking for something in my life. You know, dad was a Buddhist, and he was a pretty good guy. Mom was a Buddhist. She was a great mother. Let me look into that. And then when they're old enough to understand, I think they will naturally investigate and come into Buddhism. That, as far as I'm concerned, is the best way to teach our kids the values. You know, little things, yeah, keep a Buddha statue in the house, express the story, the values indirectly, but mostly demonstrate by your actions. That's how you teach Yes, but kids. you've often said that you don't need a Buddha statue. Well, no, I'm, I'm saying to teach the kids. You know, you might want to yeah. have, you know, keep them. I, like my daughter, she, at least once a day, somehow it comes up that, you know, dad, Zen, dad, Buddhism, something. Like, I got uh, Buddhist statues well, on my desk Well, you wear the funny clothes, here. and you shave your head, and so it's kind of obvious that you're not, dare I say, normal. Right. Well, my, my daughter actually came in. I got a couple of Buddhist statues on my desk here. My daughter came in two days ago, and she had knitted in school robes for the Buddhist statues, and she wanted me to put it on there. And, and I said, why? She said, well, they look cold. It's winter. So we, decor <laughs> we put the robes on the Buddhist statues. She's aware of, of these things, you know. Yeah, um, I, I actually don't own any Buddha statues. I've never wanted one. 
What I do have, I think you can see on the wall over there, um, I have an Enso painted by Kaz Tanahashi. You mean a wreath? Uh, uh, an, uh, yes, a, um, a Dharma <laughs> wreath on the wall. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I've never felt that the statue was something that I wanted to have. It, it seems to be too, too final, too... It, it it limits things in a way. And and didn't you say once that like an old stone or an old piece of wood would be just as good as a no, Buddha no. statue? No, 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 that's, that's true. That's true. Uh, absolutely. You don't have to have Buddha statues. I just happen to have some, some Buddha statues here. And, and well, it's because it's your profession. Uh, the, kids, the kids treat them like dolls. I mean, the kids love them, you know. Uh, I... I, I caught a couple of ones that I wish I tell the kids, well, don't play with them. Don't knock them over. I don't want that one broken. But yeah. uh, really in my heart as a Zen Buddhist, if the statue gets broken, I just have to accept that. But I try to tell my kids, please don't play the ball in the house to <laughs> knock over the statue. That, that too. By the way, let me ask you a question. You have family and friends who give you a hard time um, for sometimes when you say something Zen or Buddhisty about your practice? No, I don't really talk to too many people about it. I mean, my partner knows, but other than that, um, it's not something... I, I'm, I don't feel that I should be... I don't want to seem like I'm proselytizing. So, I mean, there are plenty right. of people who know that I practice meditation, and I've been practicing off and on for 30 years, but I generally don't go much further than that. And well, since lucky. we started this podcast, a lot of people I know who I work with, because I work with a lot of other journalists in the States, etc., um, they didn't know I had any interest in Zen, and they've seen the podcast, but no one really asks about it. Well, you're lucky, because one of the other things we get, uh, especially this time of year, uh, from a lot of our uh, Tree Leaf uh, members is, uh, hey, uh, I'm going home, and my brother, my mom, my dad, they don't understand. They think I'm worshiping the devil. Mm. They think uh, I, I, my soul is lost. My mother's always praying for me. She's convinced I'm going to burn in hell. And uh, I go home with them and, and, and uh, you know, at uh, Uncle Louie at uh, dinner uh, has a couple of glasses of wine and starts arguing about Trump and, and Christianity. And, and it's really unpleasant. What do I do? And I say, there's a wonderful cartoon that says the true test of a monk coming out of the monastery is when he goes home for the family dinner and just keeps peace in his heart while all the chaos is going on of uh, many a family dinner, some families anyway. Yeah. If your mom gets hard on you, listen, smile, bow. Be a good daughter or son. Don't worry what they say. If in 10 years, 20 years, they see the effect it's had on your life, that it's straightened you out, that it's brought peace to you. I've had a lot of cases where family have said, you know, I, I was against you being a Buddhist, but I see, you know, whatever you're doing, this has had a good effect. Just continue that. My own mother was like that. And in her last years, we actually ended up sitting Zazen together because she was against it. She didn't understand it. But at the end, she said, you know, that looks like a good thing. I want to try that. <laughs> so just be peace, smile. But the other thing is, if your mom this time of year asks you to sing the carols, to pray with her, to go to church, people said, what should I do? I'm a Buddhist. I want to say, no. I said, no, no, it's your mom. Sing yeah, the do what song. she wants. Yeah, make her happy. Go to church. Buddha, if Buddha's everywhere, Buddha's in the church too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I so grew up in go. a non-religious family. Both my parents were essentially, I guess, agnostic atheist. Um, my mother now, she's in her 80s. She does go to church, but more as a social event uh, with you know right. other elderly people where she lives. Um, but I, 
I, I, it must be a lot more difficult for people who grew up in fundamentalist families and have to, you know, constantly answer that. Or, you know, I never, I, sometimes I went for dinners with friends and they would say grace at table, but I, I, my family, it was just, we didn't, you know, we didn't well, do we it. we have a Buddhist grace. I, I, I try to get our tree leaf members. We say a little thing again for the kids that ours just says, you know, remember all the sentient beings that have all contributed to this food. And for all the hungry people everywhere who may not have food today, and we take this food for to sustain our life. It's a good message. It's not, you know, I, I think, again, any creed or philosophy can agree on that. And, you know, I just had a conversation with one of our members who's an anarchist. Uh, we have Anna. She's a great member of the Sangha. And uh, she even has her holidays. She was saying that, well, we didn't celebrate Christmas, but we celebrate May Day with a recording of Paul, Paul Robeson, the great, sure. uh, the great uh, communist yeah, <laughs> and gospel great, singer. And I said, yeah. okay, whatever you believe is fine. But that shows everybody needs kind of a holiday somehow, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, with all that said, I wish you a very Merry Christmas or whatever you want to call it. All and... the holidays. All the holidays. We celebrate all the holidays of peace. Okay. Merry Festivus. And we shall see each other again in the new year. And this is a beautiful new moment. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. And if you want Jundo to answer your questions, send us an email at podcast at zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.